Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. If you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, think back to episode two of season one. The episode is titled, It's a Beautiful Life, and it features myself and David Wimbish of the collection talking about their perfect song, Beautiful Life. My conversation with David in that episode quickly took an unexpected detour, wherein David and I spent the first four plus minutes of our conversation talking about our shared affection for the music and artistry of Josh Ritter. This is funny to me now, because early on in this episode, my guest Marie Miller and I spend about four plus minutes talking about our shared affection for the music and artistry of David Wimbish. You'll hear more about that and more about David's involvement in Marie's latest project as we go. But if you are somehow unfamiliar with Marie Miller and her music, it is truly my privilege to introduce you. I first met Marie over a decade ago at a concert she played at her family's winery in Virginia. She was only 19 then and was already two years into a record deal. Since then, she's hit the Billboard charts, had a song featured on Dancing with the Stars, and has performed along with Jim Gaffigan, The Fray, Andrea Bocelli, and Aretha Franklin for the Pope during his visit to the United States. And now, ten plus years after we first connected, Marie has finally gone indie. She's making music entirely on her own terms now. She's got a new record coming in 2020, and she's just released her first single, which we're going to enjoy and explore momentarily. Marie Miller is preposterously talented, and there is so much that I could say about her here. But I'm only going to say one more thing. This is the note I want to end on. About six years ago, when I was living in the D.C. area, I was all set to play a CD release show for my double album, The Spark, at my favorite indie venue in Northern Virginia. It's a great space called Jam and Java. I was promoting the show hard, and about two days before, my opening act bailed. I still don't know why, but it doesn't matter. I shot Marie a text explained the situation, asked if there was any chance she was in town and free to open for me last minute, and she said, I'll be there. That's Marie Miller. When it seems like everyone else has bailed on you, she's there with her music to let you know you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Hey, everyone. This is Marie Miller. I am from Virginia, currently living in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the latest single from my upcoming album, and it is called Homeland. I was hoping for a quiet life with you, but the cause was too great, the path was too true, so I packed up my bags and left what I know for all. 
crying and no more decay But I wake to the sound of a long battle cry And mountains still left to climb When the fighting is done And the journey's finally over I will come back to you And our own land forever When the fighting is done And the journey's finally over I will come back to you And our own land forever And our home land forever And our home land forever Are you ready? I'm super ready. I'm so excited. I listen to you and I listen to your interviews and I've always been like, pick me, pick me. So it's very exciting. I'm very, oh, I've always, I've always wanted to pick you. I, I generally stay indie because then you don't have to worry about, you know, getting permission or licensing the song. Totally. This is, this is the perfect record for this podcast too. So this is the, every, this, the plants are aligning. Everything's right in the world. This is, I think this, the timing is great. Yeah. And you're indie now. I am. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel? I am so excited and definitely took some time to get excited about it though. I, when I left, I was relieved um, to leave a record label. Um, it's just really with time. And, but there is just a lot of things that I didn't think about like money. Um, <laughs> But, but I've been really, really blessed and just um, things are just coming in and people are just raising their hands and, and, and just, I honestly, this, this has been better promoted and, and um, I love this record so much and without, you know, it, yeah, without all the money behind it, um, things are just happening. So it's pretty cool. So what's funny is I was listening to it on YouTube uh, kind of as I was setting up. Mm-hmm. And you know YouTube does that autoplay thing, and so right after it, uh, "Not Alone" came up. Uh-huh. You're, you're not you're not alone, and I just started scrolling down through the comments. The third one from the top is, "She has the look, the voice, and songwriting to be a multi platinum artist." My guess is she doesn't want a record label determining what she sings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing and so true. Isn't that funny? That person, even though they, I was on a record label when that song came out, um, uh, and my record label was amazing. They gave me a lot of freedom, but it's really interesting because You're Not Alone sounds quite a bit like Homeland, and it's very much uh, those two songs uh, represent, yeah, kind of like a coming home, right? Homeland is, You're Not Alone was written without thinking about, will this be a hit song? Will this... Uh, do well on radio and all that, that kind of thing and it, it was crazy because we didn't think that but it actually played on pop radio a bunch on Sirius XM too and uh, and then it was a number one song on Christian radio so uh, I think that's that's the secret is not caring what happens and then just seeing what happens <laughs> yeah this kind of blew my mind this experience um, I was at a bar in Nashville it was a very low-key kind of place i was just sitting around and and the other three guys at the table with me were all 
nominated for multiple Grammys, okay? And I had nothing. And I had just done a Kickstarter and was about to release a double album, mm-hmm. which is kind of absurd, especially if nobody really knows who you are to record a double album. But I was... <laughs> But I had a lot of songs and I was asking for a lot of money. And that was kind of the way I approached it was like, if I'm asking people for, you know, a lot of money to record, I, I want to give them something big. Mm-hmm. And so these all these guys have been nominated for multiple Grammys. And one of them posed a question, a hypothetical question to the group. He said, if you could record any album you wanted to record and it didn't matter whether it would sell or not, what kind of album would you record? And I sat there thinking like, well, I'm, I'm about to do that. Like it's coming out in a month. Mm-hmm. And, but it led me to realize that like all these guys that have recorded dozens of albums and been nominated for multiple Grammys, that that's how they felt was that they've never gotten to really record the album that they want to record. Wow. That's amazing. And such a beautiful, I love that you, I don't know, like you said something that I think a lot of independent artists and a lot of artists that um, are not, uh, you know, having, you know, 60 million streams on Spotify, that they, they're so worried all the time about um, how many people are hearing them instead of like what it, they are saying and what they are singing. And also like we forget the impact that music has made on us and we're just one person, right? And so if you change uh, someone's life by your music and it's just one person you've accomplished everything <laughs> and so and so it's really beautiful that you were making the art exactly as as it should be made because it's what it, it, it was the it was unique to you that's awesome sure but that's the that's the trade-off as you mentioned you know like the the now you're also worrying about money which you didn't quite think about before (laughs) so that's the eternal that's kind of the eternal struggle for the independent artist is how do i earn enough to be able to to constantly work on creativity while also being able to feed myself and uh maybe a family so there absolutely are pluses and minuses either way and i'm not i have no idea which one is is better. It depends on the person. <laughs> and the, and there are those those lucky souls that get to make exactly what they want and feed them feed the family, feed themselves and also, you know, a lot more. <laughs> so that's the dream to get have both. And some people do and that and that gives all our little indie indie hearts hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um all right, so here this is actually was going to be my first question. Uh, how was the collection? You saw them live. You've seen them live before, right? So the collection, you have a a part to play in this. I don't know if you, you want me to go all into how I feel about the collection. Do you want me to just tell you how I feel about them and how much I? Yeah, I do. Like we, you and I might have a uh, who loves the collection more off. <laughs> Proceed. So I, and I can't even tell you, I just thought of this. I started looking through the collection last year around this exact time. And it was, it was I just left the record label. We did a really uh, beautiful headline tour. It was just amazing to see. Also 
super hard at some shows because we had a lot of people at some shows, not a lot of people at other shows. There's this very emotional time left my record label. Just felt like so listless and confused. I was after a really bad date because I was kind of like, being like, oh, like I'm, I was in Virginia and in, in home and, you know, I got asked out a couple times and I, and I went and it was just this terrible date. And I put on Mama, the collection, um, and that you don't answer any prayers when I'm alone. Yeah, yeah. I just started just like really falling in love with them in a different way during this time. And so then I started listening to Entropy. Uh-huh. Then I called David Wimbish. I listened to, uh, also I listened to Beautiful Life interview with you and uh, David. I remember driving through Pawpaw, Pennsylvania, which is like when you're going to Steubenville, Ohio, and you're going back to Virginia. So you've probably done that drive. Um, it's, like, it's called Pawpaw? Or is that what you call Pennsylvania? No, no. This town is called Pawpaw. Maybe it's Pawpaw, Virginia. It's through, it's like 522. <laughs> it's like you're driving. It's, it's like, I'm driving. I'll never forget like listening to you guys talk about Beautiful Life and listening to the song, freaking out, blah, blah, blah. But I heard Entropy and I, yeah, I called David Wibbish. I was like, who produced this? I want this producer. And he said, I did. And then I said, can you produce my record? I said, sure. So Homeland is produced by David Wimbish. And um, I just saw them live last week. For the first time? No. See, I've opened for them a couple times. And okay. I saw them, I think, in Virginia. Did you open for them in uh, Arlington? I did. Yeah. yeah. And... I just think that they're just so powerful and that David is a genius. I really do. Like, it's yeah. so stupid and he'd be so embarrassed if he heard that. But, I mean, he's playing everything on my record. I'm playing mandolin and bazooki and acoustic guitar. But he is playing strings, uh, drum, bass, slash guitar. He's singing, you know, he's doing vocals. I mean, it's... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's incredible. So, anyway. Oh, I hear... I absolutely hear his sensibilities. Mm -hmm. Like, w when I hear the string arrangements, I'm like, that's it. That's David. <laughs> <laughs> What's your love story with the collection? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, you just met my buddy, Ross. Oh, he's amazing. Right? He's the best. He had sent me a link to the collection song, Dirt. Mm -hmm. Which, if, if you haven't heard it, is freaking beautiful. Mm -hmm. All right? Um... It was the first song of theirs I ever heard. And honestly, it was like the only one I listened to for probably three or four years. Right. So you're just like, oh, good song. And then you, and then you, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it was so, you know, sometimes you, a song is so good. You don't want to move on to anything else. Yeah. Totally. You know? So that was kind of it with this song. And then at Appaloosa uh, 2016, they were there and I didn't even know it because I think we were always like playing on different stages around the same time. Mm -hmm. something like that and I, so I heard that they were there was bummed that I didn't get a chance to meet them and after that is when I dove into the rest of their music and just man like it's for me it's it, Springsteen is always at the top of the list in terms of what I'm listening to most but they not that they've eclipsed him on the whole but as far as the last three years of my music listening history is concerned the collection is probably at the top in terms of how much i've listened to it how many people i've introduced their music to it's just 
he is such a phenomenal lyricist. Like he's got a cool voice. He's excellent at production. He does some really interesting things. But even just as a lyricist, he can he can turn a phrase, he can extend and expound on metaphors. Uh it's just it's just poetry. And sometimes it drips with hope, sometimes it drips with heartache, but it just it's it always just feels so honest. Mm-hmm. But they are so good live. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So diving in to the song here, first of all, it's short. Like it's got just as many lyrics as a regular song, but it's about half the length of a regular song. <laughs> and it it comes at you like a like a joy punch. It's like you're being punched in the face by happiness and joy. It's like a boot stomping song about home. And it works really well as an open-ended metaphor. Like the very first time I heard it, that first verse, like I was hoping for a quiet life with you, but the cause was too great. The path was too true. So I packed my bags and left what I know for all of this great unknown. When I first heard that, uh, and especially knowing that you you're indie now i thought i wonder if that has something to do with her just as like a summation of her entire musical journey Mm. Um, and i don't know to what extent that played a part in it but you've kind of been dropping some hints on uh, instagram and twitter about various inspirations like you've mentioned gk chesterton you've mentioned the lord of the rings you've mentioned you know the images of of a cousin your cousin who's a, who was a soldier kind of coming home from war like it seems like you pulled this imagery and these metaphors and some of these lines from a lot of different sources yeah and and i love that and let's get into that yeah no it's it's kind of amazing cuz homeland has so many it's so many things to me um when i was writing it my inspiration was, yes, Lord of the Rings, thinking about Frodo, you know, kind of being like not even choosing this, but having to basically save the world. And also I thought about soldiers uh, in, in the military and the Chesterton quote about he fights not because what he, because what he hates in front of him, but what, what, um, is because he loves what is behind him, that whole idea. Right. Um, really inspired me because thinking of, of leaving home for the sake of home because I have an adventurous spirit, but I'm not a, a home hater. Like, there's this idea almost that if you go out and you leave home, you get out of town, you're almost looking down on the people that have stayed. And I never do because home, where I'm from, and absolutely beautiful, grew up in a really old house built in 1804 with nine incredible siblings. My parents are my best friends, you know, it just is you know, on a vineyard and it's beautiful and you can just sit there. I just play my mandolin on my porch and look at beauty herself, just hang, you know. And um, so it's very hard to leave home and I'm very excited to be home. Um, so I don't see it as like, oh, these, you know. It's not the born to run mentality. Like we, it's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. We got to get out while we're young. Right. With a lot of, songs are written about that as musicians yeah. write about that because they're they're adventurous and they want to leave and it's to me I'm I'm not like that I'm like every day that I leave it's because I feel like I'm called to do music and so I, I leave this place so that's Homeland for me but really 
uh, in a greater and bigger way, uh, soldiers that have left. And I think we forget uh, about the men and women that are serving now and that have served recently that are, are my age or younger. Um, we live in a very polarized time and, and uh, we forget that there are men and women that are fighting for our freedom right now. And um, my cousin Matthew was the person that I sort of honored uh, on Instagram yet yeah, uh, recently. And then it was beautiful. So many people, which you can still look at, sent pictures of their loved ones who are, who are past, um, who are serving right now, who have served, grandparents, brothers, boyfriends. I mean, it was so cool, the response. Um, so I really wanted to honor honor soldiers um, that leave our homeland for the sake of home, for us. Uh, what's what's your Instagram handle so people can look at it's at Marie Miller Singh. Yeah, Marie Miller okay. Singh. Yeah. Yeah, so people can go check those out. Yeah, please do. And it's yeah, it's highlighted. Um and then lastly I wrote it for the ultimate homeland. Uh, I uh, I'm Catholic and love my faith and, and, and love reading scripture and there's a, a part in, in scripture that um talks about in Hebrews, um all the people that have a thought um for uh, for the sake uh, of God and their love for God. And they talk about, um, and even the ones that were martyred did it for the sake of a homeland. So they use that word homeland. And when I read that, I was just blown away because I was like, there's a home that I've never seen that is what everything else in my home, uh, you know, is just an echo of it. So yeah, so three different things. Um, there's a lot <laughs> in a two and a half song for me. <laughs> so what came, what came first then? Did it begin with a riff? Did it begin with um, kind of the chorus, or was one of? Were you thinking about maybe one of these aspects, and that's kind of what was the catalyst and kicked it off, and then everything else, it just kind of became a reflection on home and leaving it and returning to it, and and everything else that was kind of related to that, just kind of because that happens to me sometimes, you know, like you you begin a song with a simple theme in mind. And then as you start working on it, it's like just this collage of, you know, related ideas and themes and metaphors. Um, like you start with a sampling of wine and then somebody just walks up to you and just completely fills the glass up. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect, perfect sense. And yes, like it started with this idea of me, the first uh, thing that I mentioned of loving my home, but leaving it for the sake of feeling a mission to try to create beautiful music uh, for audiences all over the country and all over the world. And that was, so yeah, so that's what it was. And then all of a sudden I started feeling it in my heart, like these stories. And my brother who served in the Navy uh, when he was leaving to uh, play in South America, that the song was kind of being recorded and uh, yeah. And him being able to relate to that, um, and just talking to people, it almost it almost became like, yeah, like it has a life of its own in some sense because, uh, yeah, it was my story. But then all of a sudden, people were saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you wrote a song about heaven." I'm like, "Oh, I did." Like, I can't believe you wrote a song about Lord. <laughs> I did. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, there was like these little pieces, exactly what you're saying. These little little sip of wine, and then people were just like pouring it. Like, here you go. This is, and yeah, and it, it's just it honestly continues to grow um, as the song spreads. And, and I hope it, I hope it, uh, I, I just can't wait to hear more 
uh, about it. So, and, and that's why I think I referred to it at the outset as um, an open-ended metaphor, meaning like, you know, you have particulars in mind. There's a certain way that you relate to it when you write it. Um, but with it, with any song, even with songs that are abstract, like where the songwriter really is like, I have no idea what it means. It just, the, the words just kind of came. I don't know what they mean. You know, even when that's the case, um, it's inevitable because of the subjective experience that we all have listening to it, that we, that the listener kind of takes it and applies it to their life and kind of makes it their own. And to a certain extent, what you think about it doesn't necessarily matter to them. You know, like I, that's something that I've started to realize more and more with my own stuff is like, I can, I can think about a song so much when I'm writing it and I can edit it and refine it before I record it. So we're like, I know exactly what I mean. I know exactly why every line is included. It's impossible for other people to know everything I put into it just from listening to it. And in a certain sense for me to like sit down and completely explain it to everybody would be lifting the veil too much, like removing all the, all the mystery. But I think that's, what's beautiful about songs like this is it obviously comes from a particular personal place and it means something to you, but it's inevitable that it will mean something completely different to so many people. Yeah, and it's amazing because this song, the reason why I'm like, when people are saying, oh, this song reminds me of this, and I'm like almost surprised, but actually if any song that I've ever written is thematic to what I believe this life is. And so it makes sense that they hear Lord of the Rings and that they hear this idea of having an adventurous life, that, that they uh, hear me sort of praising and honoring people that have um, done that. With my music, it's it's about um, fighting the good fight, and, and I, beauty is an incredible tool, an incredible sword to, uh, you know, to fight off um, all the bad and all the pain uh, that is in this world. The uh, the line about tea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wish I could just turn back. I miss tea by the fire and soft green grass, um, but some but some deeper part inside of my soul is keeping me on this road. Just seeing you, you know, put a little blurb up about Lord of the Rings and the artwork that you've put out with this and the font, that seems very Tolkien-esque to me. Is, was that intentional? Kevin, that is his handwriting. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's his handwriting, yeah. That's so funny. Now, I'm saying this is I've actually never read Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. I've only seen the films, so... I'm not, I'm by no means a purist, but I saw the font and I was like, oh, that looks kind of elvish or that looks like something Tolkien would do. That's funny. That's actually his handwriting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and it looks, it kind of has like a JK Rowling, C.S. Lewis kind of thing too, because they all kind of, and so I did a quiz on Instagram and it was so cute. Like hundreds of people got it right uh, for Tolkien, but a lot of people also did. C.S. Lewis and J.K. Rowling when I said, like, who's starting with this? Um, but I have to say, um, I'm from the Shire, basically. I'm from, you know, with the Chino Valley, like, this town I live in. Um, it's a very, like, a small town, a very close community. And so it sounds like I'm talking about Lord of the Rings. I'm actually talking about home. I love tea, and I drink a lot of tea, and everywhere I go, 
uh, I try to find a tea shop and uh, get tea. Um, and I have beautiful, I like, you know, I love to just kind of, there's an art um, to making tea. And, and so, so yeah, so this is actually, that was just about me being like, I, and I, but I don't have it in my Nashville home because it's just, it's like too much to like be like bringing it home to Virginia, my parents' house and then bringing it. So, and it also has like a place to me, like having tea with, with friends or with my mom and the soft green grass and just thinking of like right now, it's like literally making me tear up thinking about being in Virginia with just the beautiful countryside. So just because you dropped the Lord of the Rings reference on Instagram eh, a week or two ago, that's why when I listened to the second verse again, I thought, oh, this is this is Bilbo. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. But then as we're talking, before I brought this verse up, you know, I think, oh, that could, that could just be her too. And in her own subconscious, unconscious way, she is just Bilbo-esque in her own tendencies. Because I've been, I don't think I haven't been to your house, but I've been to the winery. I've yeah. been to Rappahannock. And it's beautiful. Like that, it's the type of landscape that I would want to spend all day in the sunshine and the soft green grass and then sit inside in those beautiful old buildings and sip tea by the fire. Like that seems like an amazing day. I know. It is. It is. But and but it, it's so hard because you just want to do that sometimes, and sometimes you're and I and I wrote a blog about this because uh, it's and it's called I Miss Tea by the Fire uh, because I was saying like it, it is so nice to just be comfortable in our life, but it's we we just can't stop there. We humans are too grand a thing to just be comfortable. So like too bad, you know, like you actually were born a hobbit. I know you want to be, this is me. I'm talking to myself. I know you want to be, but you can't. So, so yeah. So everything is like intermixed. Lord of the Rings, Marie Miller's life. Okay, there's no difference. <laughs> so how big of a nerd are you? I am super nerdy. I also miss a lot of, like I got in trouble the other day because I was talking to my brother about Netflix because this wonderful woman who was cutting my hair Said, have you watched any good shows on Netflix lately? And I said, oh yeah, I'm watching the Roosevelt documentary for the second time. And she was like, oh wow, have you seen Outlander though? Or something like that. And I was like, no, I, I, I don't ever watch really any television outside of like, you know, BBC and like <laughs> documentaries and everything. Uh, and uh, I think he rightfully said, you should have met her and you know, talk to her about, something. you know, you need to be able to talk to people. Cause he's like, I talked to, I talked to, you know, my barber about sports. I'm like, okay, well maybe I should know more. About sports. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so sometimes my nerdiness I think gets in the way. Um, and so I, yeah, because I just, I don't know. I, I don't understand like bachelor life, you know, like I'm bachelor meaning the bachelor. Um, and Oh, you mean the show? The show. Yeah. You don't understand the inclination to watch a show like that is what you're saying? Yeah, at all. <laughs> yeah, so I I I, uh, I struggle sometimes, but yeah. So I'm 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 almost like this. Real, I'm a self aware nerd, and I'm like a I want to connect nerd, and so I'm almost like fighting my own nerdiness. That's where I'm at right now. Well, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. So as far as I'm concerned, you have nothing to apologize for. <laughs> um, 
thanks, Kevin. This is a good this is a good session for me. So production wise, for people who are unfamiliar with you and for people who have never seen you live, you are a phenomenal mandolin player. I mean, just you're a phenomenal musician in general. But when it comes to the mandolin, um, who was that girl? I don't want to say this out loud. I might cut it out. But Sierra Hull? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they made a big deal about her being at Appaloosa in, I think, 2016. Mm-hmm. And I saw her play. I was like, Marie's just as good. I was like, she's just as good. That's so to say, but I just, like, jammed with her the other, like, about a month. <laughs> she's ten times better than me. <laughs> But I will, I will, thank you for believing that. That's great. If you believe it, you know, it's good. Oh, I do believe it. Oh, thanks, Kevin. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to die. It's not a hill I'm going to die on. Right. Um, but I'll stand on it with confidence for a while, you know, until it gets too dangerous. Um, so I have that much confidence in, in you. No, you're phenomenal at mandolin. And so how did this begin? Because it's kind of, you know, the, the peppy mandolin is kind of the driving force in it production-wise. Did you write it on mandolin, or how did it begin? Was it always this fast? Basically, what I'm asking is, how did it begin musically with you in the writing process, and then what did working, how did working with David Wimbish of the collection morph it? Right. Yeah, it always was this fast. Um, <laughs> I wrote it... Uh, thinking about like the folk song, thinking about uh, a song that was kind of a, um, I say a long battle cry as a lyric and, and I wanted it to be something that got people pumped up. Uh, and so I did write it, I wrote it on the mandolin. And this song was the most, like I think envisioned in both of David and my mind already. Like, we kind of knew what we were gonna do. It was like, okay, this is gonna be a four on the floor, mandolin and bazooki, like, it's boot stomping. Yeah, peppy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we, we knew it. And we wanted it to feel like you could sing along right away. And um, that's, yeah, exactly. So so it is production-wise, it's pretty simple, actually. Uh, there's not a ton. We have a little bit of horns at the very end come in just to make you just hopefully feel a little bit more pumped just at the end. And But mainly it's just mandolin, bazooki, acoustic, drums, and bass. When you write, do you hear all that in it? No, I'm not a production person, really. Honestly, I I mean, I would actually say for this song, I did hear more than general, but it was because, actually, because it was so simple. I I don't, I've become more so, actually. This album is a lot more me thinking through things and kind of like suggesting them to David. I, he, he, I've, but it, at the same time, I've given him the most reins that I've ever given a producer um, because he's just so good. Really? Yeah, I, I really want to respect him as an artist and producer. And, and I just, I let him, I kind of let him, I remember the first time I let him just go for it. And it was really scary. But when he sent me the mix back, I just, yeah, I was like, all right. Let him do his thing. And, and I've kind of been trying to do it with everything, even like the artwork. Um, my wonderful friend, Mary Riley, I'm just letting her do it. Like, you know, trying to just let her create because this, these people are so talented. Uh, and um, I'm just kind of trying to let people do their jobs uh, instead of, you know, I'm like, I, I'm going to sing it. I'm playing mandolin on this. And I'm going to let you think of some cool things. <laughs> this is really interesting to me, Marie. Mm-hmm. 
what you just said, it seems like you were a lot more comfortable giving other people creative freedom, which is what you have now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you, you have that. You have the ability to call all the shots and to make the people who you're paying do whatever you want them to do. Right? But you are giving them more freedom than it seems like you've ever wanted to give people before. Like, now that you have control, you're giving it away. It seems really simple to me. Basically, it's choosing your team. And when you can choose your team, you have trust in their abilities. Sure. So that's really for me. It was like, I, when, when you're trying to make a certain sound that will work for pop radio or will work for some, you're chasing the song that did pretty well. And so now they're like, now we need to make a song that's just like that song. Or... Right now, there's a lot of girls that are doing this kind of stuff, so we need to do this kind of stuff. You're kind of like always trying to gain control, but you've never had it in the first place. And now this is just like, when I choose David to produce, and by the way, I've had the most incredible producers in the past. I love all of them so much. And I would really trust them with a lot of this new stuff too. Um, but it just made perfect sense to work with David. A lot of what we were doing in the past was great music and they were listening and we were all listening to like kind of how we needed to um, work for radio and all that kind of stuff. But it, yeah, it's just been a really beautiful experience to choose a team where I have seen their work in the past and I've just been able to let go to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah so it's been great. Yeah, I feel, and it feels so more, it's weird. It's like, it's weird when you get artwork back and you're like, that is more me than I could have than me like I couldn't have yeah, done that right. it's just so cool and it's really because I they're understanding myself because I'm expressing myself more I don't know so it's almost like it's almost like just having control over the first decision mm-hmm. is is enough right and you've never really had that in the past which is okay it's, it's just different it's totally true. And there are exceptions in that. And I think you're not alone for me. That song is a song that I'm super proud of. I worked with Paul Mabry, um, Lauren Daigle's producer, and produced tons of different um, amazing records. And I think, you know, it, it was happening sometimes, but it was almost happening on accident sometimes. And mm. this is really happening uh, on purpose. And there's a lot of and, and And again, I think sometimes artists like to, kind of almost downplay their old stuff because they're excited about the new stuff. And I yeah, yep. do that um, because I love Letterbox album and I love You're Not Alone EP that I did. That's how I think people should listen to it still. Um, but it would be silly to pretend that this doesn't feel more me. M- more you, is that what you said? Yeah, it's yeah. much more me than, than, than that. And, and it's your as the album holds, there's so much mandolin. Um, the lyrics are very much, and, and again too, it's so much more me as a 30 year old. You know, like sure, six foot two is a song about you know praying for your future husband is a jokey song. And in my early 20s, like I was writing a lot more ditties, you know. Um, and I'm so honored that people liked that song, and you know that was on Dancing with the Stars, which is so cool. Um, but I just would not write that song now. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what's interesting for for me in terms of artists like not liking their or not wanting people to listen to their old stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I love when I get into an artist um, going back and kind of starting 
at the beginning of their catalog and then working my way up. You know, it's it's to me, it's kind of like the movie that it begins with the ending scene mm. and then it starts over. So you can see how did we how did we get here? Like, this is the situation we're in. How did what happened to kind of get us to this point? Like, I enjoy doing that with artists as I discover them. Mm-hmm. But it is there is something that to me is uh, I don't know if it's a self-conscious thing, if it's a, a fear of vulnerability thing. I, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's kind of along the lines of what you just said with six two, like that you wouldn't write it now. You know, you're like you're just in a different place, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and it's not necessarily a better or worse place. It's just different. And so I think like when when people come up to me after shows and say I have multiple different albums for sale, which one should I get? I just say like I'm more inclined to recommend my more recent stuff just because that's where I'm at now Mm -hmm. you know like that's kind of how I answer the question and then I let them decide because I feel like that's an honest answer but um, how essential was it for me to say any of that was that rambling did I put myself on the couch no I think that was good I think that was and I I don't want it to seem like too I actually it's so funny I never get to do this like kind of think about what I said you're always just like all right what I said but it does I think it doesn't (laughs) seem like I'm a big thing I don't want to do is seem like I'm dissing what I did before or that I'm giving away too much control. But the reality is that I let David do a lot. Like, because I know how much I like the collection. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to mess with his mind. And like, hey, and he just get. He, I literally, it's like, generally, it's, he sends me the rough and I don't have it change it. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's sure. Great. Anyway, so. Well, I, okay, so here's what I'll say about that. I agree completely that this sounds more you than anything in the past. And I would also add to that the same thing you added, that that is not in any way meant to discredit anything you've done in the past. Um, the only reason I had, I can like hear the collection sensibilities and some of the string arrangements is because I'm so familiar with their music. Like when I'm singing along with one of their songs, I will also hum and sing the, the notes that accompany the violin solo or the trumpet solo. Like I, I, I can sing along with every musical part yeah. of their records because I've listened to them so much. Mm-hmm. And I, what I think, like, I think the fact that you trusted him implicitly on this is, uh, is a credit to your creativity and to your artistic sensibility because he did what was right mm-hmm. for the songs. Um, it, it complements them and, and kind of, uh, fleshes them out really, really well. And that's why, as we were kind of texting about this, I couldn't, I honestly, like, couldn't decide which one I wanted to talk about because they're different and they're about different things. And some of them are slower and, like, like this song is introspective, but in a way that's, like, you know, punching you with joy while being introspective. There are others that are introspective that, like, tug on the heart you know, like really kind of want to make you take a slow, deep breath mm-hmm. uh, before you start really thinking about it, you know? And and I legitimately couldn't decide which one I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, which is rare. Great. Thank you so much. I, that's awesome. That's a good problem to have. <laughs> as, of, as of the recording of this episode, how long has this song been out exactly? It has been out for came out September 20th so okay yeah so not even two weeks yeah okay um what do you think is the most meaningful feedback 
that you've gotten from this so far? Yeah, I think that uh, it's been incredible, the response. And it's not like it's you know this number one song by any stretch of the imagination. We hope that it grows and that more and more people hear it. Um, it was uh, playlisted on Amazon and Apple Music, which was amazing. Um, and Spotify is late to the party. Come on, guys. Um, but we... Uh, uh, we're going to see what they do as well. And it's, so it's amazing. But definitely for me, what blew me away was the uh, Instagram response, sending me pictures of what I totally, again, Marie Miller's thing, like encourage people to go see it because just thinking about how many, how many people, you know, d- dug up the pictures of their, of their loved ones that are serving or served in the military uh, was amazing um, to share that um, with me. So so yeah, it, it, it brought me so much joy to stop for once in my life thinking about myself. I mean, during release week uh, and during when you bring out a song to the world, I mean, you can get so self-concentrated and just so upset, right? Because you're like, oh, do people like it? Do they, you know, you're just thinking about it. And so it finally was a moment uh, where we could celebrate other people. <laughs> and that was the greatest joy uh, for me. And the goal of this whole record it's for every. It's for somebody to feel like they belong more, like they're understood more. I am so tired of thinking about myself. I really want other people um, to be thought of and to be heard, and to and that's. So it was really neat that the first single did that um, because that was my that was my goal. Too true, so I packed up my bags and left what I know for all of this great unknown. When the fighting is done and the journey's finally over, I'll come back to you and our homeland forever. Sometimes I wish that I could just.
If you enjoyed my conversation with Marie, be sure to check out more of her music. It's all fantastic, and it's available wherever you get it digitally. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, etc. And you can always go straight to her own website, mariemillermusic.com. If you want to support this podcast, my music, and my various creative endeavors, you can do so over at patreon.com slash songandstory. Also, as of the release of this episode, today, Tuesday, October 15th, 2019, I have a new album out. It's called Ohio. It's a passion project, and I'm really excited to finally share it. In the next day or two, I will be releasing a bonus episode here in the podcast to tell you a little more about the album, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, because you still are. Here's a fun little bonus clip. Enjoy. What's one of the strangest live performance experiences you've had? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I've been doing this for a long time. I started performing when I was uh, 12, um, performing pretty often, um, and I'm 30 now. So it's been a, a lot of time, and I think the earlier shows were harder, um, and we had a lot of just, um, you know, just your your background music and people say funny things. I think I'm trying to think of a show – um recently where on you're saying like on stage something really weird happens yeah or or just like just an interaction that takes place at the at the show itself yeah one time we were playing for this really big young adult event and they had and there was a speaker before and then we started playing and as we started playing the whole entire crowd just started leaving like and it was my full band and we were we were playing and it was like probably like a thousand people. And I guess they thought we were like the goodbye band, you know, like, okay, the events and the band's playing. And so we just literally started, it just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And then my fiddle player at the time just started like break dancing on stage. Cause we didn't really know what to do because like they, I think they saw that I was about to cry. And so the band just started going crazy and we were playing like Jimmy Eat World in the middle, like, and for no one, um, but they had paid us probably like $8,000, you know, all together with flights and playing. Like, so we, you know, we had to just keep playing. So I think that was one of the strangest live performances. I, that I've actually had that happen before. Yeah. And, and it, it is, it's immensely strange. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. This man. Yeah. Like almost, almost the exact same thing like slightly different context yeah. uh, uh, where it's not really clear to everybody what you're doing or that this is like an official part of it and it's painful <laughs> it, it is painful the approach that I try to take in those situations is like that now it's my job to win them back like it's that becomes the battle on stage is to get them to pay attention um, and it doesn't always work Mm-hmm. especially when they don't know who you are. But, oh, man. Yeah, it was great. I And I'm the same way. I actually love the challenge of trying to prove to someone that I'm worth listening to. I do a lot of openings uh, for uh, for artists, and I've been on tour with a bunch of artists, and, you know, sometimes it's the perfect situation, and they're just loving it. And other times, you know, they're like, hey, I came to see this person, not you. 
So I do love that challenge. In this particular instance, it was just hilarious. There was nothing you could do. Like we would say like, come on, come up to the front and dance. We started playing like covers to try to, you know, we we're like, and just, they, they were done. They <laughs> so That's funny. It was terrible. Oh my gosh. Really terrible. I'm s- I'm sorry. I'm only laughing because I that this has pretty much happened to me. So okay, uh, and that's talk about you know. I you're was, not alone, Marie. Yes, yes exactly. Not alone. <clears throat> <laughs> um. All right. My second question. Wait one second. <clears throat> I've had like a cold for like five years. You should. Uh, have you ever thought about getting that checked out? Nah. <sighs> 